Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Day Beautiful podcast feed. My name is Adam. I am the founder of Day Beautiful, the website and podcast where you can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out Day Beautiful on daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. And welcome to yet another First Taste reading series where I invite an author to read five minutes from their work to kickstart your week off with great literature and put you in a really good mood. Today's guest has had their short fiction appear in the Minnesota Review, Ecotone, Southern Humanities Review, The Common, and elsewhere. She was born and raised in Northern California and currently lives in California's beautiful Central Valley with her husband and cat. Her debut short story collection, What We Fed the Manticore, is out now. Please welcome Talia Lakshmi Kalori. Hey, Talia. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I have been following all of your um, you. debut coverage, and I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Yes, I uh, first came across your book. Your book's been out for a while, and um, it's been getting so much love and and so much acknowledgement, and, and the stories in it are just amazing. Um, I would love to hear what so collections are a little different usually I ask like what's the book about but like stories could be pretty broad but so like what is this collection what does it encompass for you yeah that's a great question because you know in a lot of ways um although all of the stories appear unconnected they they are about a central concept for me um which is it at the begin it began as a question really which is what do animals think or what are the non-human creatures that we live alongside, think about the world that we all share. <clears throat> and in some cases, what did they think about the world that we have transformed for them? So, so that was sort of the central question when I wrote the oldest story in this mm -hmm. collection. And, um, and then I wrote another one and then some more, and then I just kept going because um, I really felt like um, there will never be a final answer to that question because we're continually transforming our environment. So it's a it's about the answering that question for myself but then also it it became a collection about um <clears throat> emphasizing kind of the interconnectedness of life i know that we a lot of times a lot of us living in cities or in you know urban and suburban environments are mm -hmm. kind of disconnected from nature i mean i'm here listening to headphones <laughs> talking to you via camera i'm indoors in a climate controlled environment and that can sometimes suggest that we are separate from nature and we're distinct mm -hmm. from it. And that really isn't true. I mean, we are, we are natural things. We, we live in an environment, we affect the environment, we participate in, in um, all of its processes, even if we don't realize it. So part of this collection is about grounding readers in that feeling. Um, and I thought maybe the best way to do that is, is to make the reader be the animal. Um, and so that was really uh, what I wanted to do. Also, I, as a kid, I don't know if you did this, uh, but I played a lot of make-believe and mm -hmm. I always wanted to be an animal. So oh, yeah. part of that is an extension. It's so interesting to me how, you know, when like, yeah, when you're a kid, you play make-believe, you're animals, or like I was obsessed with the planets and you have all these, not even, not hobbies, but like you're more connected to everything around you. You're more interested. And then as life goes on, it's like, no one tells you not to like care about like Saturn you know, right. But like, right. I just stopped caring about Saturn or like monkeys were like, I, I had like a bunch of like uh chimpanzee or orangutan 
uh, were you obsessed with, with chimpanzees? Because I was yes. very mm-hmm. obsessed with ch- very oh, obsessed. This just like oh, this just unlocked a like a memory of mine. Um, so I went to like a really small school, and like this is the early '90s, and we were allowed to make like once a month or once I don't know. We were allowed to like print a banner like on a you know a, those paper that were connected and folded, and you had to like rip. I don't know. Yeah. And I think like my birthday was coming up, but I instead I wrote like a happy birthday and like I wrote like the animal, like my stuffed animal names on it. And my parents like, oh, oh you, like it was just like <laughs> I, there's more to the story, but like that just unlocked a core memory talking about like my love for monkeys, I guess. Oh, um, that's wonderful. Monkeys are talk- a great gateway to animals though, yes. because you know they are familiar. Mm-hmm. hands and expressive yeah. faces and exactly yeah, yeah. but that. we're not here to talk about my childhood <laughs> obsession about monkeys we, we we are here to listen to you read from what we oh, let me I, I was about to say the name wrong we are here to listen to you read from what we fed to the manticore uh your nine story collection um what will you be reading for us today I am going to read the beginning of um, a story called The Hunted, The Haunted, The Hungry, The Tame. Um, And really quick, this is actually the oldest story in the collection, but it was significantly rewritten for the collection. So it was first published in the Minnesota Review in a first-person perspective, and it was kind of dreamlike. And then I worked with my amazing editor, Elizabeth. We we um, talked about it, and I re-envisioned it as a, um, a third-person, like a close third-person perspective. And um, I... I like both versions of the story so much, um, but I particularly like this one because I feel like I'd grown a lot as a writer um, since my first version. And I, and I feel like it's a little bit more alive. Um, So I wanted to read the beginning part and you said about five minutes. Yeah, definitely. Whatever you want. We're we're casual here. (laughs) Stay beautiful. We do whatever. Stay beautiful. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll read until we reach a natural point. Um, Sounds good. But this is, uh, this is about sled dogs. Awesome. Take it away. All right. At the top of the world, the tundra is vast and the light is strange. Sometimes it bends things until they transform. A distant seal can become the nose of a polar bear. The bear becomes an owl. The owl becomes a ship. The ship becomes a dog and the dog becomes a wolf and so on. But a whale is always a whale. Bendix awoke with snow settled over his paws and back, crystalline flakes of it clinging to his eyelashes. He stood and shook it from his body, and it glittered in the long twilight of Northeast Greenland National Park. He was the first dog to wake that day. He had been dreaming in colors he had never seen before, and now, despite the spectacular landscape around him, the waking world seemed dim in comparison. The long chain linking eleven dogs in a slumbering line began to rattle as the rest of them roused themselves. They stretched and shook the snow off. They yawned and began to whine for food. Bendix looked around for Enoch, the lead dog. It was, he felt, urgent that he speak with Enoch about his dream. It wasn't just the strange colors. A whale had appeared right before Bendix woke, slipping through the deep beneath the ice where all of them stood. Bendix looked down at his paws, worried that the whale had already swum from the water of his dreams and was circling below him. Enoch! Bendix said as he watched a man pause at Karis, the first dog on the chain, break off cubes of pemmican and slip one into her mouth before depositing a pile right at her feet. Malta was the man's name, and he stood before Karis, talking to her and running a hand along her flank before moving on to the next dog. All 11 of them were barking and still whining for food, and their breath whirled in clouds around Malta and a second man, Willem, who had just emerged from a tent a short distance away. 
Enoch, are you listening to me? I'm waiting for my food, said Enoch. He looked past Bendix toward Malta and Willem as they paused at each dog. Bendix was the second to last dog in the feeding line and Enoch was after him. You'll be last, Bendix said. You have time to listen to me. Enoch said nothing and kept staring, which Bendix understood to mean that even if Enoch did not care what he had to say, he would listen. I had a dream last night. It was filled with new colors. Enoch sneezed. What kind of colors? Enoch asked. I don't know different colors. Colors I've never seen before. Bendix looked down and started pawing at the snow. He imagined that under the snow was a firm and thick layer of ice, and beneath that the sea. And through the sea moved a shadow, swimming underneath all of them, waiting for them to move again so it could follow. There was a whale. At this, Enoch's ears turned, and he looked at Bendix, suddenly interested. What kind of whale? Enoch asked. A bowhead. Bendix waited for Enoch to say something else at this, to tell him what it meant for the whale to swim into his dream, but Malta and Willem had reached them. Enoch's tail started wagging as the two men came to their two last dogs, Enoch the lone lead. The smartest, the strongest, rational, steady Enoch. And Bendix, who came right after him in the swing position. Bendix barely paid attention as Willem ran his hands along his head, leaned so close that Bendix could see the frost in his beard, and whispered some encouragement about the day ahead. The pemmican tasted of nothing. Bendix looked around the snowy expanse and thought about the times before when winds stirred up the snow around them, scattering the light, and wondered if there was a whale, would the reflection multiply the whale into a hundred copies of himself? And if the whale was duplicated, would his duplicates all follow him? As he felt Malta's hands fastening his harness, Bendix repeated quietly to himself the things he knew for certain. The ice is blue, he thought to himself. The ice is blue, the snow is white and I am gray. This comforted him, and he said it over and over to himself, like an incantation, until he felt calm and ready for the day's journey patrolling the coast. Are you ready? asked Enoch, calling out to the line of dogs behind him stitched to the sled. The ice is blue. We are ready, called the dogs in unison. Where do we journey? asked Enoch. The snow is white. We journey where our leader guides us, called the dogs, now howling and jumping and straining against their leads. What is our purpose? asked Enoch. I am gray. Our purpose is to run, called the dogs. Yeah! Malta's voice boomed out over the tundra as he and Willem pushed themselves forward on skis. Enoch lunged ahead and the rest of the dogs followed. The sledge leapt to life and became not an inert thing, but something like a serpent moving swift across the landscape. The lines pulled taut and all the dogs moved as one, following the path that Enoch set. The space was filled with the sounds of the dogs breathing, the rhythm of their feet on the snow, forging a trail, the sledge rails skimming over the surface, and the slip of Malta and Willem's skis. Bendix felt the cold air of the Arctic flood his, flood his lungs and travel throughout his body. It was as though a surge of electricity coursed through him, and all he wanted to do was run. All he wanted to be was these feet racing across this snow, these shoulders pulling the sledge, this body moving in unison with the team on a journey up the coast. And then, unbidden, another verse in the incantation rose up from somewhere in him, and settled in his mind, and the whale is black. I'll stop there.
Thank you so much for reading from that story. Earlier, I was talking about my love for like animals as a kid. Were animals a big part of your childhood, a part of your culture? Or when did like because the, the whole premise of this book is like, animals? Um, or yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah, so I, I mean, I had a lot of pets as a kid. Okay. We had a lot of family pets. Um, and uh, I have pets now, and I had a lot of interest in animals as a child. But what I think is interesting is that. Um, you know, when, when I was a kid, I was not exclusively responsible for taking care of my pets. I certainly thought I was, I had like, you know, you need to feed the cats in the morning and you need to walk the dog and take care of, we had parakeets and fish. We had all kinds of stuff. Um, but, but I was, I was always in charge of sort of the easy fun parts and I wasn't really responsible for like the well being. you know, it wasn't my, my job to make sure that they were healthy, to tend to injuries, Mm -hmm. um, and all of that stuff. So it was, it was sort of casual and fun. Um, but as an adult, uh, I have, I have a cat now, we used to have two cats and, and that was when I started to really think about, um, animal agency Mm. because, um, I'm, you know, my spouse and I were exclusively responsible for this well-being of a creature who definitely has, emotions and, um, and wants and needs and preferences. And I think that a lot of people who have pets probably recognize this, that, you know, there are things that, um, that they love and things that they hate and things that they're afraid of that you don't understand. And, um, and that's when I really thought about selfhood was in adulthood, selfhood of animals. Mm. And, um, and that kind of goes along with, a lot of the research I've done for, for my work has involved a lot of behavior animal research. And, and I, and I am continually impressed by just the wealth of information that is continuing to, to come toward me, but also how it really reminds me that, that I think there is a lot of selfhood in animals. And um, maybe we're starting to notice that a little bit more or acknowledge that a little bit more. I know that, um, a lot of scientists are uncomfortable with anthropomorphizing, but I have, I actually refuse to believe that they don't have personalities and mm. memories and dreams and, and things that they feel about the world that are influenced by, you know, their biology and their history that we don't understand, but I'm so curious about it. I'm so curious. So probably adulthood. <laughs> Thank you so much to Talia for joining the Debutiful Podcast First Taste Reading Series. You can find her on the internet at taliacalori.com and on Twitter and Instagram at taliacalori. You can find Debutiful at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Debutiful, and you're all beautiful. Beautiful.